I'll be nervous until I start, and so I go first. That's the line I tell myself when I'm in a class of improvisers, and we take turns performing and practicing with one another, and not the whole group works at once. So some people go first, and some people wait and go in the next round or the next round, and it could be you could have to wait for an hour before you finally get to go, and I get nervous until I start. It's not that my nervousness won't keep going at times or continue. It can do that too. But for sure, and also once I start, sometimes it can decrease. And yet for sure, I'm definitely going to be nervous before I start. That's just part of the way it works for me. I don't know who else doesn't have that or who else has that. I don't know who doesn't have that. I have that. I'm nervous until I start. Once I've started, there's a chance that I may not be as nervous once I've started. Um, it might go down. In fact, sometimes it seems to like really, really go down. And kind of depends on what I'm talking about. But first thing I have to do is start. Just know that to be the case. Because I have paid attention to myself. And I have seen that that is the way it is. I, I get nervous until I start. Greetings there, SE land. This is Twig, Anthony Twig Wheeler, here with another episode of Twig's SE Reflections podcast. This is an audio archive created specifically for somatic experiencing practitioners everywhere and other helping care professionals incorporating the psychobiological literature and information coming out of the new traumatology and somatic healing arts. Hey there, I'm Twig, and I'm looking forward to sharing this episode 102 with you, 102nd episode of Twig's SE Reflections, which you can find at sereflections.com, the entire audio archive there. Starting the new year of 2019, although we had a slight hiccup with our publishing at the very beginning of the year, we're on to a every other Tuesday publishing schedule. I've cultivated, created a little productions company in Twisp, Washington, my hometown, up there in the mountains, up here in the mountains. And I've got a little studio in town nowadays at the Twisp Works campus. It's a kind of small business artist incubator kind of zone. And I'm happy to be here for a year now and stable enough to be doing some productions. And uh, one of them is returning to the SE Reflections podcast. So here we are with episode 102. Looking forward to sharing that with you today and uh, on every other Tuesday publishing schedule to come with my little productions company, Crack in the Concrete, LLC. So here we are. I'm Twig, back in front of the microphone, just talking straight up to those of you who are keen on somatic experiencing style sessions and guiding people to a healthier and happier and more um, healthful place in the world, in themselves, on this planet, by helping to renegotiate traumatic experiences, uh, increase the sense of resiliency and self-regulation, deal with wayward and troubled nervous system processing. Of course, I'm talking to professionals here, folks that are trained in or training in, ideally, or as I'm speaking to you here, somatic experiencing as kind of created and cultivated and offered up by Peter Levine and the folks that work with him. And uh, much appreciation to all the other folks out there who are keen on similar ideas as well chair to you. And then, of course, I have to have some kind of focus. So I have a focus for this episode 102, and it's to talk to SE practitioners about the difficult signs of the right direction. Things going in the right direction, but being difficult as they express themselves, and how there's a collection of, we'll call it, 
difficult signs of the right direction that we want to be aware of and have some consciousness around, and then also some curiosity. I'll share some of my curiosity with you about them. And, uh, and just to note this phenomena, there's this remarkable phenomena that I'll tell you personally, and some of you longtime listeners or folks that have tracked me back a while know that I've shared from the stage, even in my off, off, off Broadway show, Stories of Completion, my, my one-man show that parts of which can be found at liberationispossible.org in the public, public pro- productions section, Stories of Completion, shared way back that um, I, I lived a long time myself with the torments and troubles of childhood trauma and uh, what became sincere complex PTSD in my 20s and 30s, where I was, I was pretty, pretty off the wall, I could say. It's just about uh, as turbulent a person as I've met. And in that time, I would have been surprised to learn about these difficult signs of the right direction. In fact, that's, that's why I say that, because I remember as I was doing my recovery and I was a massage therapist and I was also doing the SE training and then as I was reading the literature and getting to know the work and the insides of what was going on in my nervous system and I was very concerned and actually very much chasing a social theory question about what the influence of widespread trauma on the mammalian nervous system was doing in terms of cultivating or directing the cultivation of civilization and what influence civilization had on nervous system state and what nervous system state influence had on the development of civilization. All that was just roiling inside of me. And I was shocked in the training and in reading Waking the Tiger, to learn about a number of difficult signs or difficult experiences or difficult things that are actually signals of things moving in the right direction. And professionally, therapeutically, uh, you as a helping professional, you want to know about some of these, and you already do. I'm not telling you anything you don't know about. We're just talking today, you and me, about these things that come up for clients that they would experience as difficult. And you might stand back and say, wow, that's a sign of the right direction. And wow, what do we do then? Well, I remember in my first weekend of SE training and my particular teacher was Stephen Hoskinson, who's gone on to create his organic intelligence modality. And Steve became a big influence on me. And in that first weekend, he had a number of things that just rocked my world that he said, right out of the training, right out of the science, right out of the notion of what we're talking about here. And to this extent, reinforced the message that's in Waking the Tiger in a little subheading that you read there, and it says, as they go in, so they come out. And in the case of the training, Steve was explaining that as people go into the freeze response, they're in a, generally speaking, a high arousal, sympathetically charged or sympathetically influenced or neuroceptively influencing the sympathetic system, a danger signal neuroceptively influencing the sympathetic system to enact fight-and-flight behavior and the emotional correlates that go along with that, like fear and anger, and up to the point of what? Terror and rage, perhaps. A lot of fear, a lot of anger. Terror, excuse me. Uh, Yeah, terror and rage. And then into freeze you go. And then there's this kind of sing-song saying out there. As they go in, so they come out. And, and getting behind what that means uh, leads us into a whole bunch of the signs, the difficult things that are signs of the right direction. As they go in, so they come out. 
in a way means that as a person goes into a freeze response, an immobility response, they are likely to come out of that freeze immobility response in a similar, if not the same, kind of state, kind of behavior, kind of physiology, kind of influence from the nervous system as with which they went in, as they go in, so they come out. And in Waking the Tiger, Peter suggests and kind of makes the case that that line is used in triage and mash units and war zones where soldiers have been wounded and come in to be cared for as best can be in a kind of difficult situation, and they might be anesthetized while they're in, you know, what can we say, like a freakout moment, which, you know, like, let's get it. Like, you've been wounded. You're, you know, hurt in the most dramatic of ways, and your sympathetic system is going off, and you haven't yet, in that case, gone into freeze yourself. You haven't checked out. You haven't gone numb. And so nurses, doctors will, in those cases nowadays, uh, provide anesthesia. Some kind of, you know, I'm, it's out of my scope of practice. What do they give you? I don't know. But they, they give you something, likely, in the opiate category of things. Let's call it morphine. Right? They take away the pain and maybe give you enough of it that they knock you out. Now, again, out of my scope of practice. But nevertheless, it's some kind of pain-reducing, numbing, sedative, knocks you out and seems to, as best as we get it, seems to parallel or induce or somehow mimic the freeze immobility response, which should we go into that independent of the drug induction, we're aided by our own production of similar endogenous opiate pain-reducing chemicals that should we go into freeze because of some life circumstance giving us the neuroception that tells us that we're in a life-threatening situation, that freeze induces endogenous opiates to be released to where we get a similar kind of pain relief that drugs can mimic or produce or support or cause. And in the case of these triage units, these mass units in war zones, apparently, there's a kind of recognition that if you bring in a soldier who's been wounded or a person who's been wounded in that way, and you have to give and induce this drug knocking out period, that you need to recognize that when they wake up out of that induced freeze immobilized state, they're going to wake back up as they went in. So if they're kicking and screaming and cursing in all manners, it would understandably be that somebody could find themselves being in such a state. If they get knocked out, sometime later, when those drugs wear off or the anesthesia state wears off, they're going to wake up out of that and apparently very likely express the rule, the suggestion. I guess it's kind of considered a thing that you need to know, like a phenomena. Like there's this thing that happens. Who would have known that that was going to happen? Wait a second. Let's pause now, okay? Let's get back here. Did you know that that was going to happen? I mean, I didn't. When, when I read that in Waking the Tiger, my eyes were wide open. But I read that book like in a single sit-down. I was like, oh, gosh, this is it. This is what I'm looking for. And like right away after that, I was like, okay, I want more. And I was at the training a week later or so, maybe like two weeks later by the time it all comes down to it. But the beginning of February 2004, I'm January, I'm reading that book. February, I'm in the SE training. And then Stephen Hoskinson is up there talking about this thing. Look. When mammals go into the freeze response, there's something going on that says that as they go in and they've got this high arousal state, they're going to shut off, be in an extremely low arousal state. It's going to look like they're at least in a really low arousal state, but now we might argue that it's in fact a higher arousal state in some way that it's the phenomena that are of arousal that sends the freeze state into happening. 
like as an example, one of the primary indicators or causes of freeze, according to Stephen Porges, is a buildup of carbon dioxide and an imbalance in carbon dioxide and oxygen. And so it's like the arousal that's causing you to hyperventilate makes it so you don't get to trans, what does that transpire? Like get, get the right balance of going, carbon dioxide going out and oxygen coming in. And so you build up more carbon dioxide in your system. And there's like a trigger in the brain that says, I'm going to go hypoxic. So shut down, go into freeze, go into a conservation state, get this numbing impact, but also like stop moving and don't do. Well, at that time, I didn't know that they were going to say that. And I didn't know that it was going to mean that when you come out of freeze, you're going to feel like you're ready to fight or to flee for your life. As though you were still, in fact, that would be part of the point that in precipitating events where something so bad drives you into freeze, when you wake up out of freeze, you might very well still need to run away. You might very well still need to fight your way out to freedom or to safety. In any case, from a very Porgesian, very like basic autonomic nervous system, polyvagal theory perspective, when the sympathetics stop working and the neuroception says, look, this is a freeze moment, this is a life-threatening situation, and the dorsal vagal system takes over, and the ventral vagal system is no longer downregulating these systems, subs- the other subsystems, the sympathetic or the dorsal vagal, and the sympathetic is no longer working, the dorsal vagal is surging to shut down the whole body system. Can we... Can we go back then and probably say that Peter is kind of right and historically, and I think I've heard things that Peter and Porges maybe still have this debate about, did the sympathetic turn off, as in perhaps vagal collapse, what Peter might call vagal collapse, and I'm just projecting, I think that's what he means, that now the, vag- the dorsal vagal system is surging so much that the sympathetic system is also completely off, and now we're at that very, very, very hypotone low oxygenation, kind of full collapse of the body, and that is somehow uniquely different to the other subcategory of freeze where the sympathetic system would still be working, but the dorsal vagal complex would also be surging, and so there would be some concomitant or like happening more or less at the same time or back and forth between the two of the sympathetic and the dorsal vagal kind of happening brake and gas pedal on at the same time, in which case we wouldn't see the hypotone of the body collapsing as much as the hypertone of tonic immobility where the muscles on both sides of a joint or all the joints perhaps, if the whole body is rigid, are co-contracting at once so that the body is immobilized and kind of frozen in fear as it were, but not moving even though it's highly charged, these could be like considered subcategories of freeze with either more or less balance between sympathetic and dorsal vagal happening at the same time. And what, 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 what did all that do? One thing that that all did was led to, lead to the awareness that as the dorsal vagal stops having this central influence, on shutting the body down, either with a sympathetic charge underneath it in the tonic immobility state or the further charge of the dorsal vagal collapse and then the dorsal vagal letting off, we might still assume that if they were in a high sympathetic charge before they went into that freeze, which is why you would go into that freeze, unless you immediately perceived a life-threatening situation from the moment of orientation. It might be a very quick movement into freeze. I can grant that. And yet within this pattern of arousal, I try to defend, I can't defend, my failure to defend, I go into freeze. As we go in, so we come out, we come into sympathetic arousal. which could be a really difficult thing to experience. Truly, truly difficult, mesmerizingly difficult, 
overwhelmingly difficult, terrible, terrible to feel the need to fight or flee for one's life. And of course, in the precipitating event, which we're kind of walking in and out of in this conversation here, in the precipitating event, what we anticipate seeing in the mouse that's been caught by the cat and been in freeze and the cat plays with it and now the cat loses interest and walks away, that's the banal, benign example in our housing setup. This is a process that's been going on for 60 plus million years, my friends, with big, big, big animals playing this thing out with wildebeest and elin and cougars and all kinds of big animals. I just switched from Africa to North America. Like all kinds of creatures do this thing. Can't get away, freeze, immobilize. The danger, for whatever reason, but some reason, passes and the final death blow in this case doesn't happen. The mouse is left by the cat and the mouse wakes up full of the arousal, the sympathetic activation, and flees to the corner and finds its way underneath your refrigerator. As they go in, so they come out. And it's quite something to learn about it biologically, and it should, I think, kind of blow our minds and go, wow, wow, really, wow, cool. So animals do this, and there's this whole reason behind it that the nervous system in the sense of like the Jacksonian principle of disillusion that Porges references, that the nervous system uses newer processes to co-opt and adapt and modulate earlier, more, quote, primitive subsystems of the body. But when the newer systems are overwhelmed, like the ventral vagal complex, and the ventral vagal complex stops doing its regulatory influence over the sympathetic and the dorsal vagal complexes, then the sympathetics will surge and the ventral vagal complex will stop having its influence. We'll see things like a loss of tonus in the face or the tone in the face will become stereotypical to expressions like survival emotions of fight or flight, of fear or anger fight or flight, of anger or fear, trying to get these in order, fight or flight behaviors and emotions of anger or fear. Did I get it right that time? There are like biological reasons for that. And then there are reasons that as the body is coming out of the extreme sense of danger, out of freeze, which would be the next one. If the sympathetics didn't work, then the dorsal vagal would surge and the sympathetics would eventually turn off and the critter would collapse in a, in a puddle. It happens. You know, I mean, I don't know about you, but it happens. Like, it happened to me. Like, I just, like, walked right out of my body. just, like, watching this from a distance. So it's like, this, this is a phenomena that we feel just as much or experience just as can can experience just as readily as all the other creatures. We just stop participating with ourselves for a moment and just go numb. Well, it goes the other way, right? It's amazing. It's like, whoa, <laughs> whoa, mesmerizing. It goes the other way as the organism is starting to feel safer, as the animals, the mammal is starting to feel safer, as the cat is moving away from the mouse and the mouse's neuroception, the mouse's nervous system is perceiving some change. The mouse's nervous system is perceiving that it's not as in as much danger. And its neuroception, by degree, says this is safer. I mean, I'm not safe yet, but it's not as dangerous. I'm not in a life-threatening situation now. I'm more in a dangerous situation. And the dorsal vagal complex stops inhibiting the vagal break or pressing so hard down on the vagal break by apparently co-opting fibers from the ventral vagal complex to 
enact the freeze response, it lets go of that influence on the heart rate, and the heart rate jumps back up into the sympathetic zone again. And the animal, the mammal, the mouse in this example, is charged up and ready to flee again and runs underneath your stove this time, perhaps. And in all cases out there in the wild where, like, uh, it doesn't become, like, dinner, this critter gets up and takes off running, gets up and takes off fighting, like, fights its way out of this dangerous situation, ideally back to a place of sufficient safety. And it's kind of magical to watch and think about and everything, but probably we could also just realize that it's a physicalist property of the nervous system shifting from which part, which subsystem has a dominant influence on the body processing, and then the behavior of the body reflects which subsystem of the autonomic nervous system has the dominant influence. So the animal goes from feeling numb, being in a kind of spaced out, inert, waiting conservation mode, low tone of the musculature, low breath rate, low heart rate, extremely suppressed system inside, quasi-vegetative if it goes on too long, quasi-vegetative in some way, Fan we'll just give it a fancy name, thanatosis, thanatosis, this free state. And now the dorsal vagal complex isn't, so now the neuroception of the creature moving the sequence forward, the neuroception of the creature doesn't perceive as much threat. It's no longer in a life-threatening circumstance. It doesn't have to maintain that dorsal vagal conservation state. The dorsal vagal lets go, and the sympathetic system is working again, and the animal expresses the kind of things that the body does when the sympathetic system is working. Gets all charged up, the heart rate goes super fast, the breath gets all ready to just like breathe, 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 lots, 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 the muscles get all kinds of action, the, the fear, the anger, the movement, the lashing out, the rage, the terror, the run for your life, it just like, you're just you can't not feel it. It just goes. It fills up your whole being. You're just ready to defend yourself. And in the precipitating event, in the real-life example, out in the wild, if it gets to go right, you get to run away to safety. You get to fight your way through to safety if that was still needed. And on some future in a couple minutes kind of thing, to the extent that anybody out there in that situation would think in minutes, what a silly comment, in some future moment as these feelings are moving through and these activities of the body are moving through and the animal is discovering that it's got enough distance from the danger, it's like kind of crawled up underneath the insulation behind the wiring of your stove. It's going to make a mess back there. You, you <laughs> up there, it's like, okay, now I'm safe enough. And there's going to be this whole shifting and other dynamic as the animal returns to a neuroception of sufficient safety where its body's going to do some likely, particularly in these qualities of high charge kind of state changes that we're talking about in these examples, Animal's going to tremble and shake, and the physiology's going to move, and viscera's going to move as blood comes back into the viscera, and things that were tight are going to let go, and things that were too loose are going to start to feel a pulse inside of them and contract in rhythmic fashion again. And while that happens, it could be pretty jangly. Definitely be kind of like autonomically nervous system weird flushes and temperature changes and whisker bed like the area around your whiskers like all twitching alive your eyes moving back and forth randomly twitches muscles moving even hopping around maybe even 
as it starts to move through some pronking, some like, oh my gosh, that feels good. Oh my goodness, like I can stretch out again. Oh wow, I can feel my body again. Oh wow, I don't feel so afraid anymore. Oh wow, I'm not so frustrated now. Oh wow, I can see things. Oh wow, it's nice and warm up in here. Oh wow, maybe I'll just stay here for a little while and chill out and take a nap and rest. That was scary. I'm okay. Everything's going to be okay. I'm cool. Really, if we said it like it really feels? When you get through that stuff, you were almost in the jaws of death and you got out by your own fight flight, took the moment, you got out of there, you got to a place of safety, you got to settle down. You feel like a god, like a goddess, like a thing to be reckoned with, like a being infused with the feeling, I can. I'm bad. I'm a mammal. Yeah. Thank you, evolution. Plan A. Get through the danger. Live. Feel good afterwards so that I can keep going. What a success. What a success. So we go back now, right? We're like, oh, in that class, learning about all that, just marveling at it all. Maybe at the time, not having all the ventral vagal, dorsal vagal communication information inside of the mix, but talking about the phenomena that happens in our kitchens when our cats bring in somebody who we might know maybe don't want to stay. And then at the same time, my friends, that our ancestors and all the other critters on this planet are dealing with on a daily basis. That sometimes something else wants to eat us. Sometimes we can't do anything about it except in this example, go into freeze and wait and see if things don't get better. And on the outside of that, when things change somehow, lo and behold, as they go in, so they come out. My eyes were wide open. I'm still amazed by it. And one of the things I'm most amazed by it all these years later is that there is this wild experience for our clients that as our work starts to help them, that as we start to help them feel safer, not just in this one moment as in a precipitating event, which could be the case at some point, like a person has an accident last week and they're still shooken up and they come in and they find you and they sit in your office and you provide the right permissive and safety cues and they start to allow that trembling and shaking that they've been bracing against for the last week to start to move through and we start to see perhaps, perhaps in that hour, just after the event last week or so, you start to see all these things move through and the first meeting that you have with them, well, that's going to be something. That's going to be weird. Person hasn't had any experience with that. Letting that stuff move through? Weird. Difficult. It could be a difficult sign of the right direction. Like you, my dear SE practitioner, you'd be like, oh my gosh, this is really good. Your client would be like, oh my gosh, this is really scary. Difficult. Or what about the really to the to the truth of it, the more likely thing, right? You're going to help somebody who's been pushed into freeze a bit too often. It's got a bit too much influence on their life. They're maybe doing the as they go in, so they come out pattern of in their daily life, waft, moving, wafting, pushed, pulling. They're going in a it wouldn't be wafting is like a too soft a word. It would be like a a weird compulsion of as you go in, so you come out. You go into numbness and freeze and dissociation. You maybe you drink too much, maybe you get some relief with sex, maybe you get some relief by 
hardcore, crazy mountaineering experiences. Maybe you commit crimes. Maybe you commit anger and aggression. Maybe you blow out on too much alcohol. I don't know, but you, maybe you just feel so much that once again you go into numbness, but you go back into this free state for a time and then you come out as you go in, so you come out. And on a daily grind, on an every three-day pattern, on a monthly pattern, you feel too much. Everybody gets their own rhythm with that. This fear, no, excuse me. What is that? That's coming out of freeze. You're feeling too much. Help me, it's on the tip of your tongue too, right? It's not relaxation-induced panic. It is fear-potentiated immobility. You're coming out of freeze. You're feeling all this, that which would make you run for your life, that which would make you fight for your life. You channel it into some, I'm sorry, stupid thing. Just something that's just not going to help. That makes you go back up into freeze. You get in a nice fight. Yeah, let's get in a fight now. Yeah, this is just the time. Back up into freeze we'll go. And of course, that's the, the one that was blowing my mind, right? Because I was like, oh my gosh, we do that? People do that? At the time, and I, I mean, I'm sure I still have some of this going, but at the time I was like, I've been doing that? I've been doing that since I was a little boy. I can see it. I can see it. Just going back and forth into too much feeling, too much emotion, too much energy, too much spasticness. <laughs> Sorry, Mom. And then just checking out, just shutting down, just sitting there wishing I would die. I mean, literally, weird stuff people go through. Weird stuff. Adults, adolescents, children sitting around with feelings of so much overwhelm that they have the sense that they should just die. When in that moment, they're not, oh, I'll, I'll, I'll admit to some context feeling that way no matter what. Let me give that. But in the moment of so much repetitious freeze, feeling that way even when the danger for that isn't happening. Because perhaps in some weird way, the discomfort, the difficult feelings that come out of the as they go in, so they come out prediction, make it so that this fear-potentiated immobility, like, stirs people to some kind of end where the relief from feeling so uncomfortable when coming out of freeze again is to go back to freeze. For want, truthfully, of being able to help those sympathetic activations that are trying to express themselves become more productive and pro-social, uh, or at least not do any more harm in the social world so that you don't get into some kind of fight unnecessarily. And instead, you get to settle when you feel all of that in a productive way, like we hope to do in sessions with people. But yet in daily life, right, it's not happening. Clearly, it's not happening. Clearly, the word hasn't got out. As we go in, so we come out. So if we've been through troubled times in the past, pushed into freeze a bunch, and yet it's a, I should have said, a time-limited experience, the nervous system is eventually going to soften the freeze. And that's what that's going to lead to, of course, a whole bunch of dramatic feeling inside, which is unfortunately going to lead us so often in daily life toward the wrong direction. I mean, that's what I saw, you know. That's what I saw for myself, at least watching the chart get drawn out as they go in, so they come out. Look, you could just end up in a cycle, going in, coming out, going in, coming out, unable to move through the deactivation part because what? It's difficult. It's a difficult sign. 
of what should be the right direction. But it is, in fact, a difficult thing to experience when you don't have any kind of guidance on what you're supposed to do with this feeling that you should kill to survive or run away at the fastest, you know, you get my point. It's a big deal, particularly when it's accumulated for people. So I got three tracks going here. I'll go jump back over to my you, the practitioner, in your office with people, you're helping people feel safer in their life. They're coming in with more, more or less more dysregulation than ideally you're going to help them have some time from now. Some time from now, they're having somewhat less dysregulation in their experience, in their life, in their felt experience. It's not as dangerous. I'm not saying they're starting to settle. I'm saying that their neuroception is starting to change. Perhaps they don't feel as much burden from freeze. Perhaps they're attending to their experience more as these cycles come forward. Perhaps you're literally helping them to execute some self-protective responses and doing some very productive work and really helping them to settle and really noticing that in session together, Everything is moving in the right direction. And what might come forward next when you see them next week? But more difficult signs that you and I might have to look into and wonder, is this a difficult sign in the right direction? Or is this a difficult sign that tells us that we, quote, are doing too much, that we're overwhelming the system, that we're not titrating things enough. Such as, person comes back next week and they have more feeling. They have more anger. They have more fear. They have more emotions. They have more physical pain. What? I thought you were trying to help me. And now I feel worse? Ooh, SE practitioner, don't you know, that can be a difficult conversation. It can be just a difficult moment. You're trying to help somebody. They're feeling worse. I thought you were helping. It's like a setup. In fact, I've often thought of this, that moment of coming out of freeze as a setup. Like, what a crazy setup. I mean, it's amazing if you get to move through it. And it's completely sensible from a psychobiological perspective, from a psychophysiological perspective, from a biological perspective. Oh, yeah, right. The nervous system shifts. Which part of the nervous system is working? Which part of the nervous system is working makes the body feel in different ways? Just so it turns out that you're going to feel bad when that survival part is working, where you're feeling all of the changes from the sympathetic system working, or even get onto it. You start to settle. You start to feel that trembling and shaking. You start to feel all those weird, out-of-control, involuntary feelings inside. You start to feel your viscera move and wiggle and jiggle. Maybe some nausea. Maybe feel just a flood of tears. You know, most, most folks. You can even see how animals are uncomfortable when they're doing it. Other animals. You can see how other animals are uncomfortable when they're doing it. These can be uncomfortable physiological experiences. So here you, you, you go on, SE practitioner you. You do. You go on and help people. Go help them feel better. And there's this amazing thing. There's this phenomena. As they go in, so they come out. You might be helping them to feel more of what they've been trying to, not intentionally perhaps, no, 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 you might very well help them to feel more of what they've been avoiding, involuntary, unconsciously perhaps. And you might even, you know, they might not have had any awareness of this. person's been living in quite a lot of numbness for a long time. They start to feel something. They start to, they had a 10-year, 15-year, 20-year relationship with somebody and there was never any fighting. It's always a copacetic relationship. They did six months of therapy with you, and now they're fighting with their partner. 
What are you doing to them? I thought you were trying to help. Difficult. Difficult. Oh my goodness, they were compliant with you for a year. You have a client that came in and they worked with you for a year and they went along with everything that you said. You said, hey, I would like us to do this. And they said, okay. Oh, I'd like you to try this wacky little experiment and make this silly little sound with me. This sound like a, a ship coming into a foggy harbor. What do you think of this weird little sound? Can we do that together? Sure. Well, you know, it's like we really should end on time. Okay. Compliant client. Sometime later, a year later, they're like fighting with you. They're like saying, no, I don't want to do that. Is that a difficult sign of the right direction? Are they coming more into their self-protective impulses? Are they setting up their boundaries more? Are there, is their sympathetic system more available to them? Could be difficult. Is it a sign of the right direction? There are a number of these. I mean, in fact, they're just maybe just like... Well, they certainly should say this. They don't all, they can't all come out of the freeze metaphor. They can't, they can't all be reflections on coming out of freeze is hard to do. Can't, it can't, <laughs> no, it's not all of that. But a lot of them are. A lot of them are. You work with somebody, they were in a car accident last week, a bit shooken up. They come in. You help them settle. It's an hour and a half long session. It's an after the accident session. It's a triage session. You don't have to run through the storyline as much as you have to like give them the signals of sufficient safety and enough pendulation of their attention so they're not overwhelmed by the, the danger signals and such that they've been focusing on for the last week, including the fact that they feel really nervous and shook up that somebody's waiting in the waiting room and had to bring them here and they can't drive and even getting in the car is difficult for them to do. And you're like kind of pacing all of that content stuff in order to just more or less help the nervous system that is still trying to move through the stress response to get to maybe complete some of the stuff that might still be actively trying to do some defensive orienting or move in some such way to kind of like self-protect or brace or some such. But then afterwards, there could be, in fact, there likely is a trembling, a quieting, some kind of like sh uh, uh, shuddering inside as the breath sequencing starts to change and become more ventral vagal and influence a little easier, longer breath, especially the exhalation. And you could see this person settle right in front of you. They could say, feel like myself again. Thank you. Wow, I was really shooken up. It could go just that fast in 45 minutes, an hour, an hour and a half. You could help somebody who was shooken up a, from an accident last week. You could just walk them right down. They didn't even know that this was waiting to happen, and you provided the context and the space that could allow them to participate with it. Even inside of that, some of it would be difficult, but you could see some of it as the right direction. You could pace it out with them and say, I know that's uncomfortable, but would it be okay if we helped that to just kind of let that continue to move through and we'll either balance your attention some or see if it's okay or maybe even give you something else to pay attention to while we let that happen in the background. Got different options, right? You get to cultivate all your awareness of when you would want to use those different options. Just be in it. Be in it back and forth with me telling you what to do. Be in it a little bit. Come out of it a little bit. Go back into it a little bit. Come back out of it a little bit. All of that practitioner awareness that you're growing as your experience is growing. And yet, they settle. You get to ride that. It's wonderful. They leave. Wow. Magic. Yeah, isn't it special? So nice to know. Don't just have to take drugs to get out of these weird feeling states and lock everything up inside this arousal. How about it? The next day, when this person calls and said, what did you do to me? My neck is completely locked up. I feel like I can't move at all. It's like both sides of my neck are like iron. And I have a headache. I'm feeling this tremendous headache. My head is completely throbbing. What did you do to me? I thought you were going to help. Difficult. It's a difficult sign. And in this case, you got to sit there and you have to discern. 
Is this a sign of something going in the right direction? Was this person in freeze even as much as they were shooken up and uncomfortable? But yet were they in freeze and we helped them settle enough yesterday that now other symptoms that were masked by the numbness of the freeze are starting to express themselves in more pain or in more activation in terms of musculature action, like the tonic immobility of the neck co-contracting on both sides and locking up like iron as though the self-protective defensive orienting response wants to turn the head to the left and to the right at the same time and is kind of saying, I want to do, I want to do, I want to do. And now that I'm awake, I'm trying to do both all at the same time. And I'm hanging out right on the line of being able to move through this. But it feels so dang uncomfortable. And anyway, at that level, kind of confused, what should I do, left or right? Both are trying to happen at the same time. I just feel pain. It's a difficult sign of the right direction that the discerning practitioner has to be able to sit there and go, oh my gosh, no, this might be a sign in the right direction. And even though it's difficult, I might need to figure out how to, and if it's possible to, soften this enough to help this become productive, to help these things move through and not do the fear-potentiated immobility kind of thing, wherein at the worst-case scenario, if I could say, this person doesn't call you back. They get so afraid of what you've done to them. Of course, you haven't done anything to them. Right, that's the point. Biology is taking place. In a way, gravity, biological gravity is taking place. Things are coming down, and as the nervous system, more or less in the metaphor, comes down out of its arousal, other subsystems take over and they express the thing that they're trying to do. And you're actually hoping that you can get this person in for another session soon, maybe even that day, so that you can help the next level of, quote, symptoms move through. Those symptoms are just the intelligent doorway that says, my head wants to turn to the left and to the right. The conflict is that it's either both trying to do it at the same time or I can't let it happen one way or the other, in which case the practitioner, right, is trying to do something to help make it okay for one or the other of those to have some success so the system can start to say, oh, things moving through, things changing. Oh, look, now my head moves to the left. Oh, it moves to the right. And a couple minutes later, believe it or not, people's head are wobbling left and right, left and right, rather than being locked up between them. Yes, I did just leave out a whole lot of technique that you would want to know how to do when somebody presents with co-contracting muscles that is causing tonic immobility. Yes, I did. Yep, because I can't be exhaustive on this podcast, but I can say that's a difficult moment that you are trying to help move in the right direction. And it won't just be those which come out of freeze. It won't just be those that come out of freeze and start to express themselves as sympathetic charge and arousal. It won't just be increased emotion of that. It won't just be the increased fight response of that. It won't just be the increased boundary setting that comes with that or the pain signals that might be expressed or felt because of that. There are other ones, weird ones. There's one where your client stops wanting to come see you. They, they say, you know, I came for three sessions and now I want to go do something else. And frankly, that could be a difficult sign of the right direction. You might very well be able to see that this person could use more nervous system self-regulation, that you would have something to offer this person if you could continue with them. And they might really already be on to ballroom dancing or a meditation class or some other therapist, whatever. It could still be a sign of the right direction if, as an example, when you look back, you go, well, you know, they weren't even getting out at all before they came here. And now they want to go do something new well, let's just take that as a potential sign of the right direction. There'd be so many. 
that I'm not even going to try and like name them all. I'm not even going to try and name them all. What I'm going to do is say this. There are these weird moments as an SE practitioner (laughs) when you're guiding people through these kind of like classically influenced biological states and kind of like change processes and interpersonal dynamics that just lead to weird, 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 weird moments that you're like, well, man, I wish I could just help people just feel better from the time I met them. And they just always felt better around me rather than sometimes they feel worse. And that might actually be because of the good stuff we're doing. And I have to figure out how to explain that. I wish I didn't have to explain that. And if I have to explain it, I wish I could figure out how not to over-explain it. Because it would be so easy to try to absorb some of the complaint from the experience by trying to say, no, 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 don't you see? This is a sign of the right direction. And of course, some amount of that explanation could be hugely helpful and liberating and all kinds of get out wonderful, like, really? Let me scratch my head. You mean I've been going in and out of freeze and that's why I'm in this cycle of fighting like this? And if I were able to use some of this fight response in a more benign and productive felt sense kind of level and then feel the sense of success with that at the motor sensory processing level, then my nervous system would let go some of the attraction for repeatedly returning to the sympathetic arousal that I've been kind of burdening my family and life with. And that would start to settle and I might be able to respond to things that happen around me differently somehow. And in the midst of that, I might have to go through some times when I actually feel like I want to hurt somebody. And of course, I don't want to, but I might have to do something with that feeling instead of just lashing out in voluntarily or unconsciously at the people that are in my life, that might be hugely helpful information for somebody to have. And it would be really easy for somebody who wanted or needed that information to hear you trying to oversell that as though their difficult feeling that they're having right now is your mistake and you're just trying to cover it up. No, 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 this is a good thing. I know you're really uncomfortable, and I'm really, I'm really sorry about that, but no, this is your biology. This is like you coming out of freeze because we've been doing such good work. Well, let me just, let me just like, whisper in your ear, my dear friend. Uh, <laughs> dear, dear friend. Like, try not to do that. It, 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 it just, it's not necessary, and it is, it is, a, it is, it is just not necessary to oversell it. The weirdest thing is that a whole lot of it, you'd rather not even try to comment on half the time. Yes, it could be helpful, but too much transparency about the process helps only so much before it also hinders. So there's some amount of measurement that has to be taken. But then there's another part of this that like you're trying to cultivate the environment where your client, at least in my world, where your client is like involved in their own change process. Where it's not just a rote pattern of like, well, of course, this, then this, then this, then this, and you just follow my guidance. And that's funny for me to say, even when I offer a protocol in my Where to Start program for SE practitioners, it's like, you're not just trying to lay forward some kind of like, you're not involved, you don't have to be here, I know all the steps to your recovery and, re- and return to well-being. You don't. This client has to, like, come to consciousness around the things that have happened to them at their own pace. You could be there to guide it and stimulate it and kind of help draw near the undercoupled messages, but you don't have to go in there and name every undercoupled thing that a person is yet unaware of. You're kind of trying to help them feel 
like they can handle things as it comes on. Sometimes it could be very difficult and come on too strong. You don't need to overburden it with knowledge about every last thing. Or even like faith in what we're doing. Although all of those to the right extent would be important. But you know, there's like, and I, I, I speak, I speak here if I can. From that younger me in California, when the information was metered out to me in a successive way where I, I got a lot of satisfaction, and yes, I went very quickly through the literature as much, fast as I could, and as through as much of the SE exposure as I could, partly to deal with my social theory questions and partly to deal with any kind of professional aims that I had. And then also just like, wow, this is me too. This is society and this is me. And wow, so helpful to realize that this is me. But then what was really valuable, right, was seeing it happen again and again for the months after I came to consciousness about it. Oh, this is me coming out of freeze. This is me in the afternoon freaking out as I'm coming into the nighttime. Oh, this is me at the end of the nighttime putting myself back into freeze to go to sleep. Oh, this is me doing that stuff that is difficult, but that I've been like kind of supercharging and not realizing that it was just repeating the same behavior. And in the midst of the experience, I have to help this become softer or safer or more productive I have to do something more benign with this activation rather than like kind of push it into my relationships unnecessarily as an example. And that integration can't happen because you explain everything and make it all right. Some parts of the right direction are quite simply very difficult. And your ability to accompany people by having some awareness of the nervous system dynamics behind what's going on, some guidance on what to do with some of that sympathetic such as it comes through or that fight with you as it comes through or that kind of like um, allowance of the, like a, a more titrated pattern of, of coming into contact with feeling and perhaps having a buffer of a practice of orientation and all of that in terms of the practical nature of the feeling states as they move through, as well as your ability to explain parts of those nervous system dynamics to your clients so they have some kind of rationale of like, well, I just don't, it's not that I feel weird or bad just because I feel weird and bad. There could be maybe even a legitimate reason behind this. And then also your ability to communicate all of that in a tempered kind of way where you don't take over your client's experience by trying to get yourself out of a difficult situation. That one being that your clients won't always feel super, super, super good because of you. Even if in the end or even if at points along the way, you are definitely super, super helpful to them. There's going to be some pendulation in all of it. There is, there is, there is. And your, uh, your, your growing comfort with being uncomfortable is going to have a lot to say with how much you can accompany other people in the process of them uh, being uncomfortable while they move in the right direction. Okay, my friends, there's a whole lot in there not said, and then there's a whole lot uh, that was also said. So let's leave it at that and let me know. Let me let you know that I'm wishing you the very best out there, and I'm hoping you're taking care in the new year. Okay, we'll talk again soon. Bye-bye now. And here's a tracking twig moment for episode 102. I don't know, for some of you who are interested, let me name this. I am privileged and honored and looking forward to... Uh, being in the, quote, senior assistant role, unquote, at the Advanced SE Training in Chicago, Illinois, this year, 2019, 
accompanying Russell Jones, a friend of mine in the SE faculty. He will be the faculty member for that advanced training, and I will get to uh, be a part of the assisting team and and doing uh, my part with that and being there with the students that come. And for those of you who know of such a thing or those of you who don't, um, something that I am keen on is the auditing role in an SE training. And I've been told from SETI that the Chicago training has an auditing uh, space available, not A, but a space for auditors to come and do the training. So I don't know if you're aware of that, but when you audit the training, you can take the training again and you can come in and be a participant. And I don't know, maybe there are some stipulations there have been in the past and I'll back off from knowing which ones those are, but you pay a reduced fee and you come and you're part of the training and there for all the content. And um, again, maybe some stipulations that I should have looked into before I mentioned this. And yet I, the part that I know about is that I'm going to be in Chicago in February and August at the advanced training with Russell Jones, and um, there's auditing seats available. So if you're an SE practitioner out there and you're like, oh, wow, I'd like to sit in the training again, um, you should know at least that advanced training, which is the one that I know that I'll be at, um, you could come join that. Okay. You'd contact SETI about that. Look on their website for the Chicago training probably. Okay, there's a dragon twig moment. I'll be there. I'm looking forward to it. You know, I, I have that in me and it's still like maybe like two weeks of assisting at the in the SE training. Like I did it for years and, and I'm super grateful, super, super self-cultivation. Wow. And gosh, all of the people that I got to hang out with and uh, really, really improved my life doing that nonstop, constantly for years. I can see why people do it. I did it. And, um, and now I've got a lot of other things that I'm also engaged with, so I'm not doing it nearly as much, but two years, two weeks a year, I, I can do it. Okay. I'll see whoever's there in Chicago there. Okay. That's that.